John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Well, welcome to this third in our series uh, on the book of John, the Gospel of John. And uh, we're focusing, for those of you for whom this is the first talk, um, on what is known as the Upper Room or Farewell Discourse. This is an amazing uh, period of teaching and intimacy as Jesus prepares his disciples for his uh, impending death and glorification. Jesus has washed their feet and... uh, is preparing this new messianic community. They've broken bread, they've shared the cup of wine. Judas has left on his mission to betray Christ. It's a time of great intimacy. And Jesus encourages them, and I preached on this last week, with the amazing promise of the Holy Spirit. He promises that he will send the spirit of truth, the counselor, 
in a sense, to be another Jesus, to live within them after he's gone. Well, so to tonight's passage. Don't you love the earthy, agricultural tone of this passage? I reckon unless you're a complete urbanite, you can't but fail to sort of feel the resonance of this wonderful vine, feel the, the warmth of the sun beating down on the vineyard. I've been trying to think what a modern equivalent might be. I am the server. My father is the IT manager. He gets rid of slow-running workstations. It just, that just doesn't have the same ring to it. And anyone who has a garden or who has visited the countryside will, can't fail but to get an immediate picture of what Jesus is talking about here. A vine plant. A strong central vine with many carefully tended branches branching out and running out from it. Bunches of grapes covering the plant, ripening in the sunshine, fruit in abundance, assuming there aren't too many pests and the weather's been kind. Teams of tanned workers expertly going along with their secateurs, clipping the bunches of grapes and putting them in those big plastic buckets. Uh, At the end of the season, the vine dresser, I don't know what the French call vine dressers, but you know, the vine dresser moving down the rows of vines, expertly pruning off various branches, sure in the knowledge that by that pruning next year the fruit will be even more plentiful. But then he comes to the next vine. It looks different from the others, it didn't bear much fruit. The vine dresser looks more closely and peers into the undergrowth and sees the reason. It's because the branches have become separated from the vine. Perhaps the, uh, the, the wind or something had caused them to tear apart. The life-giving sap has been unable to get through and the branches have withered. I imagine this person has loved and nurtured every single one of these vines in the vineyard. And so there's a moment of regret as he gets the secator out and clips it off and chucks the dead branch onto the floor, ready to be burnt as firewood. It's a striking image. And Jesus, his allegory of the vine and the branches is at the very heart of the farewell discourse. Now the Old Testament frequently uses the vineyard or vine as a symbol for Israel. God's covenant people, especially in two vineyard songs in Isaiah. However, Israel's failure to produce fruit led to divine judgment. Jesus, by contrast, is the true vine, and as we shall see, his followers bear fruit. And this passage is full of uh, amazing hope, coupled with this rather dire warning of what happens to dead branches that don't bear fruit. So we need to really understand what Jesus is teaching us here. And so tonight I want to look at two things. First, the mechanics of fruitfulness, and second, the nature of the fruit. So let's start with the mechanics of fruitfulness. Well, the vine and the vine dresser in verse 2. The divine vine dresser does two things to ensure maximized fruit production. He removes the unfruitful branches, and he prunes all the others. Now, the good news is that if we're on the vine, we're going to bear fruit. 
And I take encouragement that there's no sort of splitting hairs here. You know, if you bear a little bit of fruit, ooh, you've got to be careful. It's, it's very clear-cut. If, you if you're on the vine, you will bear fruit. But it also means that you're going to be pruned. Now, the good news about pruning is that when we're pruned, we go on to bear more fruit. So it's double good news. Because we're pruned, because we're fruitful, we go on to bear even more fruit. Year after year. But if we don't bear fruit, we're taken away and chucked on the fire. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if we don't bear fruit, it's because we are no longer attached to him. It's not because we haven't done well enough. It's not because we haven't done enough works. We haven't been praying enough or reading our Bible enough. It's because we have become detached from the vine. And when that happens, we are discarded, burnt on the fire, painting that stark image. So what do we learn from this? Well, first, if we're still attached to the vine, pruning should not fill us all with dread. Uh, because all good branches that bear fruit are going to be pruned. We're in good company, and we're going to bear more fruit. So what does pruning look like? That's a good question to ask oneself. Well, I wonder if you can remember what changes came about after you became a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you might look at uh, how you spend your time before and after I used to watch a lot of TV. I don't have time to watch hardly any television at all now. In a sense, my television watching has been pruned. In some respects, that's really good. In others, I'm a bit of a sad old git because you asked me about some amazing TV series that everyone is raving about. And I say, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I wonder, you know, looking at uh, one of the band, Emma plays the oboe plays it quite a lot. She's had to prune something out of her Sunday afternoons. And so that's one sort of pruning that can take place. And there are other ways we're pruned as well. Sometimes I feel we are cut back. That's a form of pruning. Perhaps we're cut down to size a little bit. Perhaps we become too confident in our own abilities. We've lost sight of the need to live a life attached and reliant on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we can lose our job, or in my case, fail to find one, and all of a sudden, we're cut down to size. And of course, pruning can be even more painful. For many, it can take a real disaster or tragedy in our lives before we suddenly have to take stock of our situation. And... That was the case for me, and I know many other people have had disasters and tra tragedies in their lives, and the fruit has been obvious. They have been brought closer to the Lord through it. They have become more engaged, their branch more engaged back with the vine. And pruning is, I'm afraid, a reoccurring practice. <laughs> it happens every year in the vineyard. Regularly, we are pruned back. We have to reconsider our values, perhaps our, our, the focus in our life, the dreams we have. And we go through this experience and have to refocus, realign ourselves with the will of God.
those that were, of you who were here a couple of Sundays ago remember that I'd recently failed to be appointed to a job I really wanted. I stood here and I said, but there's no plan B. There's just another plan A. Well, I'm having to practice what I preach because plan A, Mark 2, crashed and burnt on Friday. The job for which I was 100% sure I would get. Both church wardens, both parish representatives who have the, you know, the final say in this had told me we are going to appoint you. Just don't worry about the other interviewees. I didn't get the job. I was absolutely gutted. All I can say is Friday night was up there. The top three worst night ever. It beats watching your wife go through labor all night. Uh, it beats all sorts of other things. I, I lay there unable to sleep, tossing and turning. Uh, I, I have appreciated the, uh, the confession tonight more than you can imagine because I've, I have had to remove my hands from the neck of the archdeacon, the rural dean, and the patronage representative, one by one, and repent. I mean, I, I mean I'm laughing about this, but seriously, I've had to repent of what I have wanted to do to them. <laughs> I, I, anyway, thank, thank, thank you, Lord, that I know I am forgiven. But... You know, so often we go through confession, don't we, and we just kind of say the words. It's been so important for me tonight to confess that. And so uh, I stand in front of you, amazingly, as someone who now has joy and peace in my heart. I, I saw someone today at Love Oxford. They gave me a, a hug, and I nearly burst into tears. And I said, but you know, the amazing thing is, I'm excited. I'm excited because I know that the next plan A, this is Mark 3 plan A, and I, I have no idea what it is, is going to be even better than the first two plan A's. And she said to me, do you know, Will, I was praying exactly that you would have your excitement back. And praise God, that's happened. So I do apologize, you're going to have me here for at least another term now. I think Andrew's secretly quite pleased as well takes the pressure off him a bit but pruning is regular and it can be slight it can be deep uh, but through it we'll, we will become more fruitful as long as we stay attached to the vine so let's move on to verses four to six uh, we see uh, Jesus saying much the same thing but in different words he tells us to remain in him and promises that if we do he will remain in us now, I'm not a botanist, but I imagine that uh, the life-giving sap that tra travels up uh, through the, the, the trunk of the vine and out into the branches is akin to blood. I felled quite a few trees in my time, and you know, when you cut pine in particular, it, you know, the cut weeps this really sticky sap, and it's always reminded me uh, of blood. Now, the branch needs to stay attached to the vine if this precious blood, this precious sap, is to get to it, the grapes cannot grow, the fruit cannot grow, there is going to be no harvest unless the sap gets through. And so the branches, if you like, need to be knitted to the vine. And so it is with us. We must remain knitted to God. We must remain close to God if we are to receive that life 
life-giving sap. And we know that one of the most effective things that Satan does is he has this great crowbar, and as soon as there is a little crack, and all sorts of things can cause that crack, failing to pray, failing to read our Bibles, failing to do all sorts of things, failing to, to seek God's face, and as soon as there is a little crack in there, Satan is in there with his crowbar, just very gently, going like this, not so fast that we feel it, but just slowly, and each time it gets a bit bigger, that gap widens, and before we know where we are, we're separated from the vine, and then all sorts of drama ensues. And the warning in verse 5 is clear. If we do not remain in him, if we become detached from the vine, or in other words, if we fall away, neither can we bear fruit if we fall away. In other words, apostasy, turning our back on our faith, apostasy leads to destruction. We know this, for Jesus tells us what happens to branches that do not bear fruit. Look what happened to Judas Iscariot. Look what happens to Demas, who is described by Paul in Colossians 4 and in Philemon, is mentioned as a co-worker of Paul. It's like, uh, you know, Andrew saying, uh, you know, my friend Charlie Cleverly and I, or Michael Green, you know, saying my friend Michael Ramsden and I when we were on a mission trip to X. They were together, they were co-workers. And yet, what happens in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Paul writes this, Do your best to come quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Can you imagine a co-worker of Paul? He'd have seen, I mean, you know, 10 people raised from the dead before breakfast every day. And yet he falls in love with the world. He falls in love with the world. He fails to bear fruit. He's lost. He's cut off. He's withered. He's dead. He's chucked on the fire. In verses 7 and 8, we see the shape and size of the fruit. So what does remaining look like? If we remain in him and he in us, then we are to ask for whatever we wish. Now, I might say to my extremely cuddly three-year-old, come over here and give me a big cuddle, and I will give you any treat in the tuck box that you want. Now, of course, that is sheer bribery, and just because she is the biggest cuddle monster you can imagine, of course, I would never stoop so low. But if we look on a little bit further, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory. In other words, pray in my name. I will answer your prayers to glorify the Father. Not to make you feel good, but to glorify my Father's name. In other words, pray in my name, and I will answer your prayers so the Father's name be glorified. So let's be absolutely clear about this. This is an exhortation to pray. And it's promising that if we pray, God is going to listen to us, and he's going to answer our prayers so that his name will be glorified. Now, before you all go away and pray to be revealed through some prophetic insight what next week's lottery numbers are, 
The key thing is this is to my Father's glory. He's not going to answer any prayers that do not glorify the Father. In other words, bring glory to his name. Now, today, I set off on my motorbike at about 10.20 in the pouring rain for Love Oxford. I I left uh, Andy McConville here about half an hour earlier, and uh, it was bucketing down, and we looked at each other, and we both thought... You're a sad git of a Christian going to go and do all the shabadabas in South Parks in the pouring rain. You know, everyone's going to be laughing at you. Why are you going to go and do this? Of course, I had to go because I had to carry the St. Andrew's flag so everyone knew where we were. And I set off and I went down the Marston Ferry Road. And I remember John Collins laughing once and telling me, uh, this was before we were praying for the big centenary uh, party in 2007. You remember the weather there was a bit iffy. And he just said to me, Will, you need to rebuke. There are certain times when you need to rebuke the weather. And I thought, yeah, hey, I'm not in the league of John Collins. You know, I'm a baby Christian, relatively speaking. I, can't, I, you know, I don't have this kind of power to sort of rebuke uh, the natural elements. And I just suddenly thought, actually, I'm going to pray a prayer of faith. Because actually, God's name will be glorified if we have great weather for Love Oxford. And so as I was driving along on my bike, took my hand off the left, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you clouds, and I command you to leave the area over Love Oxford for the duration of Love Oxford, and I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? Andy McConville got sunburnt. I suspect there are an awful lot of other people doing rebuking against the clouds today, so I do not claim uh, any responsibility for that. But it, it, did, it did amuse me when we got... I was in my dry as a bone. I had my Australian kind of leather hat on, my Wellington boots, and there were people there in T-shirts and shorts and no shoes. Me of little faith, my goodness. So the key point here is that a fruitful person is a man or woman of prayer. And now comes the challenge. How do we measure up? Now, obviously, I can't be legalistic about this. There's no prescription. But when you leave here, let's let's ask ourselves, when was the last time? that you prayed, that you prayed in earnest, that you sought the Lord's face and you prayed and you asked for things. How long ago was it and for how long was it? I was shocked when I was uh, in training at Wycliffe. Somebody quoted a statistic that the average Anglican clergyman, I I don't know what the survey was, spent something like seven minutes in prayer a week. I mean, I thought it was a joke. And actually, I can now see, particularly now Andrew's gone on sabbatical, you know, you just get incredibly busy and people want to come and see you and you're producing talks. And you know what the first thing to give in my diary is? Is it's my hour in the morning reading God's word and praying. That's the first thing that goes. It is, we're on a slippery slope. We've got to be challenged And then I want to look at what the nature of the fruit is. 
verses 9 to 11, where does the fruit come from? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus is obedient to his Father, even unto death on a cross. So just as he has obeyed the Father, we are to obey the Son. The nature of the fruit is obedience, not a begrudging, teenagery sort of, you're to be back by 10 o'clock tonight. <laughs> okay obedience but a joyful obedience and Jesus tells us that we are to do this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete wow I mean this isn't a a kind of whoa let's all be happy and have fun sort of joy no this is a deep and supernatural joy that is a fruit of the spirit of God a fruit of the Holy Spirit it's the sort of Joy that comes from knowing that the God who created the universe is alive and well and living in us. And so the fruit comes from obedience. And then uh, verses 12 to 15, what is the fruit? And here we come to, of course, one of the greatest verses in Scripture. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. We are to love one another. I did a word search on the word love in John's gospel and my computer nearly crashed under the weight of search results. The disciples are told to love each other so that by that expression of their love others would know that they were disciples of Jesus. And in John 13:34 Jesus gives them a new command. Love one another. Kind of rewrites the old, you know, the 10 commandments as another one. Just love one another and so the fruit is that we love one another so what does that love mean in this context what if it is going on does it look like well here is perhaps uh, what a few children think love is when you go out and you eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs love is when you kiss all the time and when you get tired of kissing you still want to be together and you talk more my mum and dad are like that they look gross when they kiss. And this is, this is a cracker. This is from a six-year-old. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with the friend who you hate. That is amazing for a six-year-old. But as Michael uh, Lunig, the Australian cartoonist, poet, and social commentator said, love one another and you will be happy. It's as simple and as difficult as that. There is no other way. Jean Vanier wrote this, Jesus comes to make us children of the Father, revealing the Father's incredible tenderness and hope for each one of us. He comes to heal our wounded hearts by entering into a relationship of love with each one of us. Then through this relationship of love, this communion, he teaches us to open up a, in a relationship of love with other people. If we love one another, we become a community of selfless, loving, sacrificial servants. And do you know what? If we're like this, we can't but help see fruit added to the vine. Other branches added to the vine. I mean, look at what the, the, the church in Acts chapter 2 looks like. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, 
and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If we love like that, we will see the Lord adding to our number daily. And I suspect one of our challenges, one of the reasons why it is so hard to do evangelism now, it is so hard to invite people along to Alpha, is because they read their newspapers and they see Christ's beloved church tearing itself apart. I have to say it for very good reasons. It's, it's such a challenge, unity in the church. I cannot believe what some people in the church are doing. They, cause, they call the evangelicals the schismatics. You know, it's not us who are deviating from uh, the truth of the scripture. I have no answers for that. But we pray for unity. We pray that all people would see of the Christian fellowship is us loving We want to love in such a way to make us attractive to the world so that we might draw others in. But somehow we don't just have it in us to love everyone equally, either in our churches or in our workplaces. We have such different personalities, backgrounds, and different ways of doing things. The love that is of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, however, transcends all our human likes and dislikes. It also transcends the affection and friendship we have for particular people. It both embraces these, but also goes far, far beyond them. For Jesus said, this sort of love causes us to embrace even our enemies. So in the church, there is no excuse for some people feeling excluded and unloved. We must plead with the Holy Spirit who lives in us to give us Jesus' love. For everyone, perfect love casts out all fear. So may we love one another. May we become that selfless, loving, self-sacrificial community that this passage, that Jesus' words command us to become. Because if we become like that, we will see Uh, We can't but avoid seeing other branches added to the vine. And to see the kingdom grow to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.